you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? After God's heart, the wilderness, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. If an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war arises against me, in spite of this, I am confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For on the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. He will hide me in the secret place of his tent. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice. And be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, I shall seek your face, Lord. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not turn me over to the desire of my enemies. For false witnesses have risen against me and the violent witness. I certainly believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, as we talk about the wilderness, it's very personal. Everybody's wilderness is different. Lord, what you don't want to do is minimize our wilderness because somebody else has it worse than us. You want to meet us right where we're living right now. And so, God, I just pray that the crowds and the voices and, and all, everything would disappear except you and each one of us. Come and speak, we pray, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it turns out that the Psalms are mostly written by David, and many of the Psalms have a prescript where, where it says where David was when he wrote this psalm. It is like David's personal journal. David did not know he was writing scripture. He's, he's just writing what he's going through and how he's responding and how God is speaking to him. And so these, these are journal entries in David's journal that we get to read, that we get to see. And so there are seven of these that are in the Psalms that tell us where David is. And these are all in the wilderness. So there's a little grid I want you to see. So 1 Samuel tells us where he is in the wilderness. Then we have the event, the wilderness event. All of these are when David is on the run from Saul, but he's in different places. And then 
the psalm that was written. So these are all written specifically in the wilderness. Now, there are several other psalms, including Psalm 27, where it doesn't specifically say he's in the wilderness, but we infer that he is because all of his promises are still future. He's, 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 he's on the run and people have forsaken him and he's hoping to see the goodness of God in the land of the living, but he hasn't experienced it yet. And so Psalm 27 brings together, and I'm going to be quoting all of these psalms um, in our time today, but it's called After God's Heart, The Wilderness. I, I don't know in my lifetime that I've ever seen a time where the whole world is in the wilderness at the same time. This wilderness is not just the COVID and the fear of sickness, it's economic, it has become mental and emotional, it is, uh, we've had riots because of race, we've had politics that are going all the time, and we're all in this thing together, and that's on top of our, our usual stuff. I mean, life is always difficult. Life is always surviving. Life is always, there's always troubles with the car and troubles with the spouse and, and, and troubles with homework. And there's always stuff going on without anything being added. But you add all of this stuff and at some point you say it's, it's too much. I can't do this. All of my survival skills are not enough. It, it, it's called the wilderness. It, it, the wilderness is a very lonely place because no one really can help you in the wilderness. Um, the wilderness is a very vulnerable place. It is people get bitter in the wilderness. They can become cynical in the wilderness. They can become offended with God and offended with people in the wilderness. And then even when the wilderness is over, it, it's basically destroyed their life. That they, they, they carry that. They, people become addicted in the wilderness. And it all goes back to this time of vulnerability where there was just a wrong response. Now, the opposite is also true. There are four purposes that God has for the wilderness. The wilderness is not just a vulnerable time. It's also an opportune time. The, 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 the level of change that can happen in the wilderness surpasses the change you can have in prosperity. There are things that can happen in the wilderness with you, inside of you, and specifically with you and God that leave you changed for the rest of your life. The, whole, the rest of your life is different because of what happened while you were in the wilderness. Now, I recognize that possibly some of us, we, we haven't done well in the wilderness. We have basically complained our way through. We're waiting for it to get done. We're, we're, we're just... We're just, we're treating it as, as just something that's happening that I hate and I can't wait until it gets done. Well, in his mercy, God has extended our wilderness because he doesn't want you to miss his purposes. He's got four purposes 
So here's my message. Don't waste your wilderness. <laughs> okay? Let's, let's grab a hold of these purposes so that the wilderness can end. I, I'm, I'm excited about the wilderness ended. I'm going to be the first one that burns these masks up. I'm so excited about that. Yeah, come on. So let's grab a hold of these four purposes. Here's, here's the number one is to overcome fear. David starts out reminding himself who God is and who man is. God is my light and my salvation. God is my defense. What can man do to me? What are people going to be able to do? What can the circumstances of life do to me when God is for me? I will not be afraid, even if a whole army is encamped against me. And that sounds like hyperbole to you and I. Except in David's case, there really was a whole army encamped against him. But he said, listen, because God is with me and God is for me, we outnumber them. It doesn't matter that there's a whole army there. They don't make me afraid. God and me are greater. God and me together are enough. As I look at God, as I view God, my fears diminish because of who he is and how he feels about me and what he wants to be to me. So David speaks to himself. This is, this is Psalm 56. When I am afraid... I will put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? So this is called self-talk. Courageous David is speaking to fearful David. And he says to fearful David, Listen, when you're afraid, trust God. Start trusting God. Start remembering how big God is. Start remembering how little man is. And that you don't have to be afraid. What can man do? Get your focus back on God. He tells of God's help. This is Psalm 34, another wilderness psalm. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. He's got a story to tell. I was afraid, I cried out to God, and he delivered me. And so David can go back the rest of his life because he's got this in his journal. This is why I believe in journaling. He can go back to that journal and say, God did it here. I'm a, now I'm afraid about something else, but God did it here. He's going to do it again. He has rescued me from all my fears. He's, he knows everything I'm afraid of, and he's got a plan to rescue me from all of them. He's done it in the past. He's going to do it again. So I've been journaling for many years, and because of this message, I went back to, my, to some of my journals and this is, this is from 2012. There was a lawsuit filed against the church. And when it first came, 
it was, it was not a, a lawsuit. It was a threat of a lawsuit. And, and so I went to the person that wanted to file it, and I tried to, tried to change their mind. I tried to... And, and, and ask them, is there another way we could do this? Is there just a, a way we could do it outside of court? And then I had to leave for vacation, and I had just become convinced, because I felt like God had said, this is going to come to nothing, that by the time I got back, um, the lawsuit w- would not have been filed. There was, we, had a 10 day, we had 10 days to make this thing right, or the, the lawsuit was going to be filed. And I'm on vacation and I'm just believing God. I am absolutely believing God that it's not going to be filed. Well, I get back and on my desk is the lawsuit and it has been filed. And it's really, really bad. And my heart becomes gripped with fear. At that time, we had a huge debt. All three buildings, the church, the school, and the daycare are all wrapped into that debt. We lose one, we lose it all. We cannot afford a lawsuit in any way, shape, or form. And I'm, I'm just gripped with fear. And so I go, I'm, I'm seeking God, and honestly, folks, I'm expecting pity from God. I'm expecting, you poor little thing, I love you so much. I love you. I've got you. I know, you, I know you're hurting right now. Um, and that wasn't the word that came. A, a, a word came, a sentence came, and I knew it was Scripture. I had no idea where it was, but I knew it was Scripture. Here's the word. Stand firm in your faith, or you will not stand at all. This, this could take, he didn't say, that, you know, I'm going to protect you. No, he said this could take you out. You need to stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. And I'm like, whoa. So I find it. It's in Isaiah 7. It's the story of Ahaz. King Ahaz is the king of Judah. They're being attacked by Israel. And the Bible says that Ahaz and all the people in Judah were shaking, trembling like leaves that are being blown by the wind. They're just shaking in fear. It's it's gripping them. It's very similar to how I felt. And the word of the Lord comes to him from Isaiah the prophet. And the word is this. Stand firm in your faith or you will not stand at all. And I, I, you know, expecting such a tender word and getting such a strong word, I'm like, Lord, what, what is this? Here's what, he, here, here, here's what I felt like he was saying to me. You've been preaching about faith. You've been preaching about my goodness. You've been preaching about my power. It's game time. It's time to believe God. How many know a believer's job is to believe? And, and, and it shouldn't make us feel put out when we actually have to believe God. And honestly, there was really no other choice other than caving in and letting fear start controlling my life. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is when you are unwilling to let fear paralyze you and make your decisions for you. Even though I'm afraid, I am not going to give in 
to fear. Marcio said it last week. When fear knocks at the door, send faith to answer the door. Don't go to the door and say, come in. Where have you been? Come on in. Yeah, grab my heart. Make me tremble. So I just decided. And this is how you often have to get over fear. Okay? If we lose the buildings, we lose the buildings. What, here's another way of saying it. If I perish, I perish. But I'm going to go out believing God. If I get COVID and die, I get COVID and die. But I'm going to go out believing God. If we go bankrupt, we go bankrupt. But I'm going to go out believing God. And I just, I just made a choice, put the stake down, and said, all right, I'm going to believe. I'm just going to believe. Three months later, we received an email from, from our lawyer that said that the, the suit was dropped. But the miracle, the greater, I mean, it was a miracle that the suit was dropped, but the greater miracle was this. I was hardly even relieved. I had, I had so much victory in this. I was just at peace. I, 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 did, I hadn't been afraid for a couple months at all, just like God has that. God has that. Whatever he does, he does. But I'm not, it's not speaking to me anymore. So what's the power of that? Well, guys, I can go back to that journal entry anytime I want to and remember what God did. Remember that I was rescued. Remember that the one who rescued me then is still with me and he's going to rescue me in the future. That's the power of this thing. So I get it. We're going through a tough time and fear is talking to you. It's time to face it with Jesus. Get that thing in your face, whatever you're afraid of, and say, if fear in Jesus' name, you're not going to control me anymore. I'm breaking your power over me. And you get to take that victory into the rest of your life. 2021 is going to be a lot better than 2020. And you're going to still have the victory that you want over fear. It's going to be with you the rest of your life. That's point one. Here's point two. To overcome despair. In verse 13, David says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, when we read it today, we think that... You know, David is, first he's telling a little of his own story, and then he's speaking to us. That now, you know, he's, he's believing God's, he's going to see God's goodness, and now so everybody should wait for the Lord. No, that's not what this is. He's talking to himself. He's saying despair is knocking at the door, and it, I, need, I need to wait on God. God, I am going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Not just in heaven someday, but in the land of the living. And so he speaks to himself. Wait for God. Let your heart take courage and wait for God. This is persevering David speaking to self-pity David. Okay? Because they're both versions of David. Does that, do we all understand that? We've all got both versions of ourselves. There's a self-pity version of us. Not pretty. 
And, and there's another version of ourselves that perseveres. And he's speaking to himself. It's time to persevere. It's time to persevere. Do not give in to despair. Despair is knocking at the door. You give in to a little discouragement. It becomes despair. Then it becomes depression. Then you can become suicidal. Darkness will take you down this thing so quick. That voice is so loud. And we've we've got to learn to talk to ourselves. (laughs) Just because something's at the door doesn't mean you need to let it in. But this is an extremely dark time for David. Let me read you some of the other things he says. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there's no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Bring my soul out of prison so that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. The wilderness feels like a prison that you are locked in. And and you've already tried to get somebody to help you and no one can help you. This is a personal thing. Either God helps you or you don't get helped. And so David starts recounting God's promises and God's closeness and who God said he would be to him and said, pull me out of this prison. In your bounty, deliver me. The Lord is near, this is Psalm 34, that near the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is pretty low. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In Psalm 32, David says this. This is how despair feels. The waters were rising, threatening to overwhelm me. And you surrounded me with songs of deliverance. I was about to be overwhelmed and you gave me a song to sing about who you are, about who you are to me, about your goodness, about your deliverance. This is is where um, no longer slaves. That is the first line. You you surrounded me with a melody. You, You surround me with a song. God has a song that he wants to put in our spirit to take us out of that place of darkness called despair. So I went back to my journal in 2008. We we arrived here from Minnesota in in August of 2007. Honestly, I thought it was going to be the greatest time in my life. I thought it was going to be the greatest ministry. I thought that I had come out of the desert and now I'm coming into the promised land and we got here and just the opposite happened. Um, The church that I had come to take over, um, which we thought was going to be just this awesome transition, ended up splitting the church and um, another church started. And so our our church was shrinking. uh, So I felt like a failure as a minister. I, I felt betrayed by friends and 
And so I wasn't angry at all. I was just very sad, just, just sad all the time. And on top of that, it wasn't just our church that was shrinking. Our finances were shrinking. Our, our house was unsold. I had told God what, how this works. I obey him. He sells the house. Uh, how, how many know that sometimes prayer is actually us trying to tell God what he's supposed to do? <laughs> or at least give him options. I mean, this is, this, this is what it would look like, God. Have you thought of this? I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a whole world of people. You can't find one person to buy our house? <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, was just, it was just a very, very dark time. And I've, I've lived for many, many years just a very positive personality. And so this is just new ground for me, for my poor wife. It was certainly new ground for her to see me struggle. And... Uh, and so I went back to the journals of that time and, and day after day, I would like list things to be thankful for. I would just like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something to be thankful for. And so this, this is how you get out of self-pity. Thanksgiving and self-pity can't share the same space. So, I, and you can always start with, I'm going to heaven when I die. This isn't going to last forever. This whole life is not going to last forever. I'm going to heaven when I die. Praise God. I'm forgiven of my sins. Thank you, Jesus. And I would just find things. I'm, I'm, I, my wife still loves me. I'm, I, I just find things that were doing okay. And, and, and I would just thank God for this and thank God for that. And, and thank God. And I just, and, and, and to, just to fight back. The despair that was at the door. And then I had a second thing I would do. A lot of self-pity comes from entitlement. If I feel like I have been promised this comfortable, awesome, perfect, smooth sailing life, then when it doesn't happen that way, I'm going to feel like, huh, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And, 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 and the truth is, there, look for that verse in the Bible where God says it's going to be easy and comfortable. I, I, it's not in there. It's like, in fact, his promise is you're going to have trouble in this world. In me, you can have peace, but there will for sure be trouble in the world. And so what I started doing first, first I read all of these Civil War books about Abraham Lincoln because I'm like, here's somebody that had a worse life than me. He's a leader. There's division. And it, life is just hard. Then I started reading Fox's Book of Martyrs and books on martyrs like Vanya and uh, just people that, that just had all of us. You read those books, it's like, my life is not that bad. Let's, let's just have a little wake-up call. Um, if this is as bad as it gets... It's really not that bad. And so I had strategies in place to persevere, to persevere. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. The, the part of the problem with despair, of course, is you don't know when you're going to get through it. <laughs> There's got to be an end, but we're not sure when. And, and so we, we need to persevere and we have a persevering self that needs to speak, sometimes daily, to the self-pity self. 
Buck up, buddy. Buck up. You're going to get through this. God is good, and he's good to you, so stop whining, and you're going to see his goodness revealed in the land of the living. Not just in heaven, but you're going to see it. Keep going. Don't give in. Don't give up. And you get through that, and guess what? You have that for the rest of your life. The reason why boot camp is so hard in the military is because once you get through boot camp, you say to yourself, I can get through anything. I thought I was going to die in boot camp, but I made it through. All right, third one, to encounter God. Listen to this, Psalm 27. My heart has heard you say, seek my face. This is the invitation of God in the wilderness. The wilderness is where all your other stuff isn't working anymore. You have, we have ways to get through stuff, ways to comfort ourselves. Nothing is working. It's too bad. And God comes to David, and he says, seek my face. David, I want to encounter you. I want you to experience me directly. God didn't say, seek my hand. His hand is what he can do for us. You know, you know, because that's part of prayer, isn't it? God, get me out of this. God, deliver us. God, heal us. God, you know, just move mountains for me, God. But, God. but God's saying to David, I want to encounter you in the wilderness. And David responds, your face, O God, will I seek. Encounter me, God. Listen to what happened in the wilderness. This is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and your glory. Your loving kindness is better than life. In the wilderness, when people can't help you anymore, where your usual stuff can't help you, you feel this way. I, I'm either going to be encountered by God or I'm going to die because I'm not going to make it otherwise. That's thirst. That's the invitation of the wilderness. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate you in the night watchers for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. He says this, Psalm 34, 8, another wilderness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Folks, there is an invitation for encounter that is different than you learning about the nutrients in food and seeing pictures of food so you can identify it. This is called tasting the food. Guys, God is calling us to encounter him at this time. This is, this is about getting in the river and experiencing the real presence of God. This is not writing a book about the river. This is not you being on the banks criticizing those that are in the river and the right way to get in the river and the wrong way. No, this is you getting in the river and experiencing for yourself the presence of God, the goodness of God, and in such a way, encountering his love, 
that you can say his love is, oh, this is better than life. This is better than everything else that I've got going on. To encounter God, we need to, we don't earn, we enter. You just enter his presence. Jesus already did the work. Jesus shed his blood, not just so that you could be forgiven, not just so that you could go to heaven, but so that we could enter into the presence of God and experience the real tangible presence of God right now. But you can't earn it. If you try to earn it, you will go without it. Because it doesn't work. That's not how the gospel works. And as long as you're on earn, you won't even seek it because why would God want to meet with me? I'm a dirtbag. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't go to church enough. I don't, I'm not holy enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not. If you're waiting to earn it, you're going to just go without the real presence of God. You don't earn it. You enter it. And you enter it in childlike faith. Now, I've learned that this is a real problem for Americans. Americans are very in their head and very suspicious. So here's what we had happen uh, in October, we had, a, we had a conference for the youth called I Must. And the whole thing was moving towards Saturday night. Saturday night was going to be the Holy Spirit service. And I, I had been receiving stuff for it for so long. I'm just like, I have no idea what's going to happen, but God is going to absolutely erupt in this service just because I was just in the midst of it. So that night comes... And uh, our teenagers, they just entered in. And God started touching these kids. And I mean radically touching them with his real presence. I think the young people were most surprised that that God wanted to touch them. And we had kids laid out, overcome by the power of the Spirit. Like It was like human Tetris and people shaking and weeping and laughing. It's all happening at the same time as worship. And, and there was this, this encounter in the midst of the, real, uh, of the wilderness of the real presence of God. And so the next morning, I, I tell some stories at church and that night we were having a worshiping and waiting and I really felt like God wanted to have that for the adults, that there should be an encounter time for the adults. And, but I mean, I, we just need to be socially distant and we need to keep the rules. And so I had this way of doing it at worship and way. I had the oil that I had used to anoint the kids and I, I just said, we're going to do this in the spirit. And so I had this oil and I just encouraged everybody to enter in, in childlike faith and just let God touch people that night and just take some time for encounter, and uh, it, was, it was nice, and I go back, and we're doing the next song, and I start getting this picture, and it's, it, it's a repeat, it's on repeat all the way through the song, and the, and the picture is this, it's somebody <laughs> who has put up walls, they, they, it, why do we put up walls, we, God doesn't put the walls up, we put them up, why, to protect ourselves, we get hurt, so we put up a wall, 
And what we, what we don't realize when we put up a wall so that we don't get hurt, we're also locking God out. And so, so in this picture, these waves are coming against the wall that we've made. And on the other side of it is the person who desperately is dry and desperately wants God to touch him. And God, I need you to touch me. I need you to touch me. And, and, and here's the wall. And there's a crack in the wall. And of course, once there's a crack in a dam, enough pressure, pretty soon that whole thing is going to come down. But the very person that needs this so badly, because of muscle memory, is plugging the crack with their hand. They, they desperate, I need this, I need this, I need this. Oh, there's a crack. And I'm going to keep the water from coming. And, and so because I had it all the way through that song, I come up and I say, you know what? Maybe there's one person, maybe two people here that you need help. <laughs> the walls are so big that you need the water to break down this thing. And I, and I told the thing about this is what you're doing and, and you just need a little help. We're going to start another song and if that's you, you know, come on and I'm going to, directly anoint you and pray for you. 40 people came forward. Not all at once. They came a little at a time, but I just, I'm trying to get people to help me. And, and, uh, and, but, but there was one, one lady that was very memorable to me, and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing what happened, but <laughs> um, I'm praying for her, not touching her, and the glory, I can feel the, the weight of the glory of God coming on her. And she's going back and forth. And here's what she's saying while she's going back and forth. I hope I'm not making this up. I hope this isn't in my mind. I hope, and I know what she's doing. She doesn't want to be manipulated. She doesn't want to be cynical. And I just, I said, I, I'm not touching you right now. And, and I just allow God to do what he's doing. And, and there was this fight going on. And finally, the, over, the Holy Spirit just o- overwhelmed her. And, but this, this is the battle that's in us, of letting somebody touch us deeply. God wants to touch you. God wants to encounter you. And then lastly, his fourth purpose is to establish identity in God alone. Here's what David says. One thing have I desired, and that's what I'm going to seek after that I might dwell in your presence. God, I don't want to be a visitor anymore. I want it to be my identity. I want to live in your presence. I want, I want your loving kindness is better than life. I want to make my life around your presence, that I might behold your beauty, that I might meditate on your ways, that I might start seeing life the way you see it, see myself, see others the way you see them. Instead of in the darkness, it's very easy to see things the wrong way. And, and David is like, I want this to be my identity. Thanks for the drink, but I want it to be my identity. And what I, what I told the kids at I Must, I said, what you're going to get tonight is a drink, but it's not about the drink. It's about the addiction. It's not about the drink. It's about the addiction. Did you know that every addiction reduces your life? You get addicted to alcohol, your life gets small. You get addicted to sex, to drugs, to 
football, to golf, to shopping, whatever it is, when you get addicted to something, we are very addictable, aren't we? <laughs> our, our life gets smaller. But there is one addiction that you were created for, and that's the presence of God. Here's what the Bible says about that, that addiction. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. When, when your main identity is in His presence, it's amazing. You can enjoy everything else in life without it sticking to you. Because <laughs> you're not trying to get your identity from it. Because your identity is in His presence. David says this. Psalm 18. The worship team can start coming. In Psalm 18, David says this. Your gentleness has made me great. What makes me great is not the wars I've won or the people that are applauding me or the prizes that I've won. Here's what makes me great. You have come. The Almighty God has come and touched me gently. He has come and revealed His love specifically to me. And this is my identity. This is the greatest thing in my life. Your love and what your love has come and done in me. Now listen to God's purpose for the wilderness. This is Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. God says, I have allured her into the wilderness. I, I have drawn her into the world. Not because I'm angry with her. Not because I want to blame her and get her into some type of self-flagellation because if I hadn't done this, 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 and this, I wouldn't be in this wilderness. God says, no, no, I, I got you out here. I, whatever circumstances got you out there, whatever sin got you out there, whatever circumstance worldwide got you there, you're there, and I want you to know I am, I have allowed this because I want to speak tenderly to you. I want you to know personally who I really am and how I feel about you. I want to encounter you in the wilderness. And in that day, this is verse 16, and in that day that you experience my tender love, you experience my up-close presence, you will not call me master anymore. You're going to call me husband. I am going to fundamentally change your identity. He certainly is a master, and, and we are his servants. But pr the primary identity is going to be, I'm the beloved. I am the beloved, and he is the one that has loved me like no one else has loved me. It becomes our identity. We have this devotional. <laughs> Thank you, worship team, for being here. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Um, we have this devotional we do in the hallway with the staff on, on Mondays and Wednesdays. Whoever wants to come can come, and we had done one. It was something about quiet time or the, the, need to, the need for quiet time and to be with God. And one of the pastors said, Pastor Tom, could I, could I follow you? He gave me permission to share this. He said, could, could, I, could I share something with you? I said, yeah, come on. He, come, he brings me, we go down to my office and he says, he says I, I, I want to just give you a testimony. He said, I've been a pastor for all these years and I've taught that we should have a quiet time, that we should regularly have a time with God. And 
And he said, uh, but I've been so inconsistent through the years. And it's caused so much shame for me. And, and, and then I'll get up again and try again and try again. And he said, uh, he said, last year about this time, he said, something shifted. And I started meeting with God every single morning. And it, it's transformed me. It's, it's become a delight to me. And he said, as you were speaking this morning, what I realized was this. There was never a time where like I said, from now on, I'm going to do it. That it just happened. I'm giving it after the fact. The grace of God, somehow before COVID set in, he established this in me by his grace. And he said, I just want to testify that it wasn't me. It was God. So would you stand with me? This is a song that it'll be new to most of you. But this, this is why we need an encounter with God. It's not about our zeal, our passion, our discipline. All we can do is respond. It starts with his love. It starts with his presence. So let's sing this together and we'll close the service.